Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day as we start a new week and a new month. And I know for a lot of folks, especially in the the flooded areas, they hope April will be a much better month than March was. We'll be talking about those flood conditions and weather with Mike Palmerino, DTM meteorologist, a little bit later in the program. We're also going to look back at an interesting hearing last week in Michigan. EPA had a public hearing on uh, what was supposed to be about E15 summer sales, but it really turned in also to uh, uh, quite a session on the granting of RFS waivers by EPA. And the biofuels industry had a chance to really sound off on both of those issues. And we'll get the reaction and comments today from Bob Deneen, Senior Strategic Advisor for the Renewable Fuels Association, and Kurt Kavarik, Vice President of Federal Affairs for the National Biodiesel Board, get their thoughts on how they thought the hearing went on last week in Michigan and what they see is the path forward and where we're headed with these uh, waivers by EPA, the approach EPA is taking on this issue, what this means as far as the uh, Trump administration's uh, pronounced commitment to biofuels, whether they are further questioning that now in light of these uh, recent waivers, just what they see ahead. And that'll be coming up on today's program. But let's start it off with uh, Sarah Wyant, editor and president of AgriPulse Communications, her perspective on the, the national scene. Sarah, thanks for being with us. First, I guess we should say you're back home in Missouri. Any flooding around you? No, there's not here, Mike, but uh, it is good to be back in Missouri. And happy April Fool's Day. I keep checking my email to make sure that we're not having fake news come in today. Mm -hmm. But uh, Mm -hmm. I'm sure there's going to be a couple of pranksters out there before we're done. But certainly this flooding issue is one that uh, is is just such a huge issue. And and when you look at the enormity of it, the the number of acres uh, underwater, the amount of damage that has been done, Wow, this is going to take a long, long time to recover from. It certainly is. And even though my part of Missouri is not underwater, certainly our thoughts and prayers go out to all those in parts of the state and other states, Iowa, Nebraska, up and down the Missouri, and I'm sure we're going to see more in the Mississippi River Basin before we're done. We've seen estimates of up to 1 million acres to be damaged, and people are just starting now to kind of bail out of the communities that have been underwater. So it's going to keep going, and we're all waiting, not so patiently, to see if Congress will act later today. The Senate is expected to take up a revised version of a disaster bill that will hopefully start to compensate people for not only 2018 losses, but 2019. But as you know, Mike, that's been tied up in a lot of debate over whether we're doing the right thing in Puerto Rico. And now healthcare is getting entwined in the controversy over a disaster bill. So it's a it's a frustrating time for those who have been hurt by these disasters to see that Congress has not been able to move more quickly. Yeah, while it's hoped there will be some help from Congress, it just shows how long that can take. It it I mean we're people that were hit by hurricanes months and months ago are still waiting to see some of that relief. Well absolutely. And you know, three billion may sound like a lot of money, but it won't go that far when you're considering that it goes to hurricane relief to fire uh, in California to the floods in the Midwest, it's 
unfortunate that we can't move any quicker on disaster relief than we have been able to. USDA Undersecretary Bill Northey has been touring a lot of those flooded areas, and he will be on with us tomorrow to give us an update. We're talking now with Sarah Wyant, editor and president of AgriPulse Communications. Sarah, uh, trade right at the forefront again this week and talks with China. Absolutely. We've got the Chinese delegation coming back over on Wednesday. Uh, by all indications, the U.S. team that was in China last week made progress. Uh, the Chinese news agency has been saying favorable things, and then you probably noticed that there was a release from USDA this morning saying that another 828,000 metric tons of soybeans have been sold to China for the 18-2019 marketing year. So things seem to be moving in the right direction. Uh, we all know devil's in the details, right, Mike? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's more to be done here, but certainly uh, optimism at this point. And what happens with tariffs? Uh, do they even stay on? Uh, you know, as the president's talked about leaving them on, even if they have an agreement, and still waiting for some action on tariffs on uh, steel and aluminum with Mexico and Canada. As the administration starts trying to uh, convince, uh, especially House Democrats, to, to vote for USMCA. Well, Democrats and a few Republicans who have been very evasive on this. And you're seeing more pressure on the White House to lift those tariffs, or at least to admit on what it will take to lift those tariffs in order to move USMCA forward. So I think you're going to continue to see lawmakers ramp that up. And um, there's got to be a full ground game here in terms of farmers and ranchers weighing in, too, because um, there's a a lot of Democrats and quite a few Republicans that are just saying, We're not sure that we're going to get the enforcement of some of the new labor provisions in Mexico and other sorts of changes that were made on the labor front. So it it will take an all-hands-on-deck to to really lift up this issue as something important to get passed. I can remember in years past different trade agreements or trade deals that were being pushed by an administration and the all-out offensive that it took uh, to get, convince uh, members of Congress to vote. And uh, it, it takes a lot of people. you got to get that momentum and that push behind you, and uh, it'll be interesting to see if they can get get that kind of support. I know agriculture groups are saying they're going to be pushing hard. It's going to take quite an effort. It certainly will. And, you know, we've got so many people out on the campaign trail right now yeah. working on the 2020 elections. It's hard to pin them down on where they're going to be on this vote. And, you know, we saw a lot of discussion over the weekend about rural issues, but passage of USMCA really wasn't at the forefront of any of the discussions I listened to. And that's it. There's so many of these other issues. And when you're in a presidential uh, campaign cycle, it it seems like these kind of issues kind of get pushed uh, to the side. But you can't push this one very far already. Uh, you know, we're seeing uh, the talk come out of Canada, Mexico about, uh, you know, what they're going to have to see before they could get it passed. And uh, they have deadlines, too. When they have their own political issues, and we have to be very respectful of that. And if we can't get some of these things done in, ter- in time to address their wants and needs in their own respective countries, then, you know, kind of shame on us that we haven't been respectful of that. So it's going to be a busy couple of months in trying to get this passed before the uh, poor fall. And uh, I think that uh, certainly the good news is that groups are starting to rally a little bit more, but I don't think it's reached enough of a fever pitch to really put it over the top quite yet. 
Yeah, it's just starting to build right now, that's for sure. Sarah, always good to talk with you, and we'll check in with you again next week. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Sarah Wyant, editor and president of AgriPulse Communications. All right, so coming up next, Mike Palmerino, DTM meteorologist, sitting in this week for Bryce Anderson. Let's hope he has some good news uh, for us weather-wise, especially for those areas that have been so hard hit by the flooding. Will they get relief uh, in some drier weather this week? And what about the the rest of the country? Some planting going on in some parts of the country. Uh, We'll talk about all that with Mike Pomerino from DTN next here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. My name is Mimi Falkman. I'm with Cenex, and I'm a marketing specialist. So we have a new technology within our full synthetic diesel engine oil line. So in our Maxtron EnviroEdge and Maxtron DEO products, we have a new technology called Endurovis. So it is our new polymer technology that retains its shape 80%. So as soon as a farmer drops their oil in their engine, it retains their viscosity through the entire drain interval. So farmers can push their engines and equipment longer for longer hours or longer miles. um, And they can ensure that their engine is protected from the beginning of the drain interval through the end. So in our competitors, a lot of them have what we call a long chain polymer, which looks like a long bicycle chain. And as that moves through the engine, it gets chopped up. And all of the little important pieces and the technology and additives that protect your engine get dispersed. With this technology, it's circular, and so it holds on to those pieces of additives that protect your engine. So those anti-wear additives ensure that your engine is protected longer. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Missouri Farm Bureau President Blake Hurst joins us. Flooding and recovery efforts. In the final analysis, whether it's because of mistakes by the core or climate change, or an act of God, the one thing we know for sure is that these floods are happening more often and they're more severe when they do happen. So we have to get a new plan. Increasing flood storage in the reservoirs, that's a man, that's a decision. We decide how much, we decide how many feet of flood storage we want there to start the spring flooding season with. That's got to be increased. We've got to look at uh, making sure the river channel is clean. We've got big deposits in places along the river. Uh, much less uh, channel than we had maybe 10 or 20 or 30 years ago. Uh, we've got levees that we always repair them about right back where they were again. We've got to improve the system. So uh, I guess our focus is going to be talking about changes that will make the future safer. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. We paid less for our Craftmatic today than we did 20 years ago. If you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and free information on today's Craftmatic adjustable beds. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Rated number one by consumers nationwide on ConsumerAffairs.com. Craftmatic beds come in all mattress types, including cool gel memory foam for up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Enjoy temporary relief of low back pain, poor circulation, nighttime heartburn, mild arthritis. You'll sleep better in a Craftmatic adjustable Bed. So if you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and information. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Discover Craftmatic for less, up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Call 1-800-318-7903. That's 1-800-318-7903. 
1-800-318-7903. Call now. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, as we start April, a lot of people hoping for better weather this month. Let's talk with Mike Pomerino, DTN meteorologist, sitting in for Bryce Anderson this week. Mike, thanks for being with us. Do we have good weather news this week? Well, I think it depends on where you are, Mike. If you're uh, north of Interstate 80 this week, uh, you know, things aren't going to be that bad. The Dakotas, Minnesota, into the lakes. It looks like most of the rainfall this week will stay south of that area. So that's good news for them. But the bad news is, as you go into the I-80 corridor and southward, uh, it's going to be wet. We're, we're looking at a couple of rain events over the next seven days. The first one will be moving through on Wednesday and Thursday, producing about a quarter to an inch. And then the second one comes in uh, towards early next week, about Sunday, Monday. That could be worth about a half to one and a half inches. So it sounds like getting into what uh, we normally expect this time of year, these windows. And, uh, you know, you hardly dry out from one rain event in a couple of days, because then you get another rain event. And while that is somewhat normal, what's not been normal is what's happening preceded it with all the 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 snow and the rain and the flooding ahead of that so it's going to make it even harder to get uh, dried out it sounds like well well it is you know the soils are saturated everything came together as you said with that uh, massive event uh, earlier in march i guess the good news is is that we have melted all the snow uh pretty much in the missouri river basin the only area that still has snow that has to be melted significantly is in that Red River Basin in northeastern uh, um, North Dakota, northwest Minnesota, but that's going to be heading up into Manitoba as that river flows northward. So, yeah, it's, it's, it doesn't look like there's another extreme event coming, but it clearly doesn't look like we're getting ready to dry out uh, to any degree. And there's even some indications, you know, despite the fact that it doesn't look particularly wet this week in the northern areas, uh, there are indications that it could start to get wetter up there again as we head into the middle of April. I was going to ask you, what is the pattern that you see starting to set up for the month of April? Well, it's uh, it's a wet pattern. We've got uh, an El Nino in the Pacific. It's not a particularly strong one, but it's enough to generate a lot of uh, flow in off the Pacific with a lot of storminess. And we've got a cool pattern in Canada. And when you put those two ingredients together, cool air to the north, the warmer, humid air to the south, and the Midwest is sort of situated right in that boundary zone between these two air masses. And, uh, you know, it, things we will see that window, Mike. I heard you mention that uh, briefly earlier. That window, uh, even in these wet patterns we've seen, you know, really since uh, the last drought in 2012, the windows will open up because we do see higher sun angles and uh, we do start to get more vegetation, which allows for more evapotranspiration. So, you know, I'm not optimistic short term, but uh, I would clearly expect a window of opportunity to open up, you know, 
during the latter part of April or, or early May. And fortunately, as we know, producers can plant so quickly uh, uh, with the uh, mechanizations we have uh, at this time. It's all about those windows at this time of year. But for those areas like in Nebraska and parts of Iowa and Missouri, even some parts of Illinois, uh, it's going to take a long window for them to uh, be able to, to recover enough to get to the fields. Uh, that's, that's likely true, but, you know, clearly at this point, you know, uh, I personally would not be willing to say that some of these areas are not going to be able to get planted this year. I, uh, I think that's taking this way too, way too far along. You know, clearly you could be looking at some uh, uh, reduction in corn acreage and, and maybe going to beans more if the window is uh, uh, further out into the spring. That's something we'll certainly be watching. We're talking with DTM, DTM meteorologist Mike Pomerito. Mike, uh, we've talked so much about the, the flooding and the wet conditions. Are there parts of the country that are too dry at this point? There really aren't. You know, it's, it's truly amazing. The, there's a little pocket of dryness in New Mexico. Uh, there isn't even any, I can't remember the last time on the latest crop report out of California, they're not even reporting any short soil moisture in California. It's all adequate to surplus. It's, uh, it's just incredible how, uh, how wet this pattern has been uh, since the last drought in 2012. It's, uh, it's amazing uh, the inability to generate high pressure over the central part of the country anymore to dry things out. It's, uh, it, it's truly amazing. I don't know why it's happening, but clearly it's, uh, it's an ongoing uh, regime that we are in right now. Yeah, it was not that long ago we were looking at and worrying about that drought monitor map and seeing it what seemed to be a growing area of, uh, of the country that was under drought conditions. That seems now like a long time ago. It does. You know, it's been totally wiped out. It's, uh, it's just amazing. This is about as wet as you could see the country overall uh, going into spring. Um, it's, it's, you know, and in a lot of ways that's uh, certainly a positive in that, you know, there's not going to be any worries about soil moisture uh, this year for most of the major crops. What do you see with temperatures and the warm-up here in April? Well, I think they're going to be up and down a little bit uh, because of the fact that Canada looks like it stays cool. So the temperatures, you know, as these storms come in, it'll warm up out ahead of them, and then it'll cool down behind them. And that's kind of what we're in right now where, you know, we're looking at some rather chilly temperatures across the nation's midsection at this time. It's going to stay cool through the uh, middle of the week. And then it's going to warm up uh, as we go into the end of the week and the weekend. But then behind that early next week system, it's likely going to cool down again. So no sign of any real persistently uh, uh, near to above normal temperatures. A few days near to below, a few days near to above, uh, uh, very, very up and down. Mike, globally, what are you seeing around the world as far as in some key areas as far as the weather that other countries are dealing with? Well, I would say clearly the, uh, you know, probably number one on, on a lot of producers' uh, interest would be that second crop corn in Brazil. And, uh, you know, they have really managed to uh, 
escape a bullet there when the rainy season was very erratic in central Brazil during the beginnings of their growing season, and it significantly impacted that bean crop up in there. But uh, what happened was the rainy season came back on like gangbusters. They, because of the drought with the beans, they got a lot of that corn planted early, and uh, they've been able to take advantage of that. Uh, you know, it, we're starting to see some signs now, the rainy season petering off a little bit, but not totally ending, and it looks like they could get back into some rain there towards the end of the week. So, you know, despite the fact they had some issues with beans, they're going to have a very large corn crop, uh, that second crop corn in, in central Brazil. Argentina's looking pretty good. You know, if anything, they were a little bit too wet early on, but uh, they've uh, had some very good growing weather. They usually do in El Nino situations. And then elsewhere around the world, the only real drought area to talk about are, you know, kind of marginal areas in Spain and Morocco. Those areas have been quite droughty over the last 90 days, and, you know, that clearly is going to have an impact on their winter wheat crop. A little dry in southeast Ukraine, uh, but nothing that couldn't be fixed uh, uh, with one decent rain event over the next few weeks. And China moisture right now looks quite good going into spring. So you mentioned earlier that how unusual this situation is here in the U.S. with so much moisture and over such a wide area. Do you remember another year quite like this? Well, you know, clearly we have had issues with a lot of moisture. I know when that big event came through earlier in March, there people were starting to talk about 1993, which, uh, you know, again, I don't think has any comparison to this because all this rain and flooding is really had really occurred prior to the onset of the growing season in 93 when we had the uh, eruption of Mount Pinatubo and the cooling of the entire northern hemisphere. That led to uh, quite a bit of rain, you know, during the growing season and, and just flooded out the Midwest. So, you know, that's the one that comes to mind. But clearly, I, I don't think that the comparisons are the same because this flooding is much more front-end loaded uh, in the growing season. That flooding was more during the heart and into the end of the growing season. All right. Mike Pomerino, DTM Meteorologist. Thanks for being with us, Mike. Appreciate it. Okay, bye. All right, coming up next, Bob Deneen, Senior Strategic Advisor for the Renewable Fuels Association. His thoughts on that EPA public hearing last week in Michigan. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. Whether you're on the road or in the field, you need more than typical number two diesel. You need a heavy-duty diesel like Cenex Premium Diesel. It comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. It's the diesel that keeps your equipment out of the shop and restores power by as much as 4.5% and fuel economy by up to 5%. So ask yourself, if you could be any diesel, which diesel would you be? Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. 
Did you know you can listen to the latest podcast of Adams on Agriculture or hear the top news and weekend review from the American Ag Network on your Amazon Alexa? Play my flash briefing. Use the Alexa app to search for the podcast you want to play. Search for Adams on Agriculture to learn about the issues affecting agriculture each weekday. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Again. Or you can search for the American Ag Network. This is the American Ag Network Week in Review. I'm Sabrina Hill. Stay up to date on agriculture with the sound of your voice on your Amazon device. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. In the grain and oil seed sector, a positive tone at the Board of Trade in corn, wheat, and soybeans as we begin the trading week and the new trading month. USDA reported a new export sale of U.S. soybeans to China for delivery in the 2018-19 marketing year. This sale for 828,000 metric tons of soybeans USDA had announced on Friday that China bought 816,000 tons of beans, suggesting that recent rumors of 1.5 to 2 million tons of beans sold to China were actually accurate, just split into a couple of consecutive reports. Meanwhile, in South America, Brazilian farmers have finished their harvest work on 75% of the area planted with soybeans as of March 28th. That, according to private consultant, Ag Rural, that's ahead of the same date last year and also ahead of the five-year average. Soybean futures trending five and a fraction to six cents higher an hour into the day. May up five and three quarters at 8.90 a bushel. November new crop at 9.24 and a half, up five and a half. May corn up four and a half at 3.61. December 3.88 and a half, up three and three quarters an hour into the day. Chicago wheat trending four to five and a half cents higher, one to two better in Kansas City. Fraction lower in Minneapolis spring wheat in early trade. For livestock, the Merck, we've had a mixed trade in lean hog futures. June contract up 27 at 88.82, despite evidence that the severity of African swine fever in China has increased over the past month. Lean hog futures falling 8.8% last week. Live cattle futures 50 to 82 cents higher, 80 to $1.40 higher in feeder cattle. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson for the American Ag Network. I'm here to tell you that your options for getting out of debt have never been better. How do I know? Because I'm Howard Dvorkin, the founder of Consolidated Credit. For nearly two decades, we've helped over 5 million people just like you. And every time we help someone, they all say the same thing. Why didn't I call sooner? If you owe too much money on your credit cards and you feel that you'll never be able to pay it off, don't wait. Simply pick up the phone and find out what our Freedom Quest program can do for you. Reducing your payments by up to 50% is just the beginning, but you have to take the first step. When credit card debt is the problem, we're the solution. Call Consolidated Credit now. As soon as you call, the hard part is over. Call Consolidated Credit now. 1-800-489-7204. 1-800-489-7204. That's 1-800-489-7204. 5701 Sunrise Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Licensed debt management service provider. Vermont and New York Banking Departments. Maryland 49, Oregon DM80031. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Synex Premium Diesel. Synex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Well, last week EPA held a public 
meeting in Michigan to talk about E15 summer sales. But right ahead of that, uh, word was out that uh, E15 RFS waivers to uh, oil refineries. So you knew that was going to become a big part of the conversation and the testimony, and it certainly was a chance for the biofuels industry to really speak out on this issue once again to EPA officials. Here with some perspective on it is Bob Deneen, Senior Strategic Advisor for the Renewable Fuels Association. Bob, thanks for being with us. What was your takeaway from that uh, that public meeting last week? Well, I think we had a, a good day. About two-thirds of the 200 or so people who went to testify were in support of the rule and support uh, the year-round use of E15, and uh, a number of those, as you indicated, uh, did make the point, hey, uh, great that you're doing this for E15. Don't undercut that by also continuing to uh, release these waivers from the program that are simply uh, destructing demand at a time that is supposed to be creating demand. Uh, don't work at cross-purposes uh, with, uh, with what you're doing. So uh, it was a good message, strong message all day long. Uh, I think EPA heard loud and clear uh, where uh, Middle America is on this issue. Is there anything new at this point, Bob? I mean, isn't that a message that you've been delivering for some time to EPA? Was it just another chance to reinforce that message, or is there anything new to try to, you know, sway the uh, the argument here or the the, uh, the debate? Well, there wasn't a lot new. Uh, Jeff Cooper, who testified on behalf of the RFA, as he's the president and CEO, uh, did bring uh, some technical arguments to the table that EPA probably hasn't heard about. We talked about some of the minutiae of the rule in terms of making sure that uh, marketers who are using blender pumps to blend E15 are not precluded from continuing uh, to be able to do that with, uh, with some of the provisions that EPA has proposed. Uh, he also uh, raised some questions about uh, or issues with respect to the legal approach that EPA is taking. So not all of it was at uh, 30,000 feet. Uh, people like Jeff did uh, bring it down into the uh, the minutia, into the weeds where EPA lives, and I think uh, hopefully we're able to make some points as well. Is an event like this, other than a chance, again, to get your point across and and, and very strongly with the number of people you had doing so. Bob, do you think events like this change the view or the direction of EPA? Does it have an impact, or is it just them going through the process of saying, we're giving you a chance to make your feelings known again? These these events are never just perfunctory. They're, they're never just to check the box. Uh, staff does listen intently. They're listening for nuances in some of the arguments. They're thinking about how they will finalize the rule, and, and hopefully uh, we were able to make some, some points. But but even beyond that, uh, as I indicated, uh, about two-thirds of the participants were in support of the rule. Had EPA reported back to uh, the administrator that uh, two-thirds or more uh, were against the rule, yes, that would have had an impact. And so, you know, much of what you're doing is just making sure that uh, things don't go in, in another direction because you weren't paying attention. So there were many ethanol producers that were there. There were many farmers that were there. There were, you know, ethanol proponents of all shapes and sizes, and, and it all has an impact. Uh, and we're grateful that uh, 
they did in fact uh, show up and they did in fact make a case because otherwise we uh, we might have been looking at a different result did EPA the officials that were there do they did they just listen or did they interact did they respond what was that what was that dynamic like well they are typically in a listening mode they don't uh, really get uh, uh, you know many questions in they'll question a, a witness occasionally but Typically, they're just trying to get through the day and listen for arguments that uh, uh, they haven't heard or, or need to make or need to think about how to respond to. Uh, but uh, there isn't a lot of uh, give and take. Uh, uh, they're just taking testimony. Okay, so the the clock's ticking. We've turned the calendar now to April. We're looking at that June 1 of whether or not E15 will be allowed uh uh, you know, in those markets where it has not been typically in summer months. What's the next step to get to that? Well, the EPA has to finalize this rule. They've got to uh, still uh, read uh, the written comments that will be submitted to them later this month. They'll have to respond to all of those. Uh, they'll have to then uh, uh, issue a final rule, get that through a interagency regulatory review process, uh, and uh, promulgated by June 1st. So, you know, they've got 60 days. Uh, that is a very tight uh, schedule for them. Uh, you know, they keep saying they're going to get it done. I am hopeful that they will get it done. I'm ever the optimist, being the Red Sox fan that I am. Uh, <laughs> but we'll see what happens. We'll hope to be pleasantly surprised then. Bob Deneen, Senior Strategic Advisor for the Renewable Fuels Association. All right, Bob, let's talk about the other issue that was certainly brought up, and that was the announcement last week of more RFS waivers, these uh, small refinery exemptions. Uh, first of all, your reaction to those and uh, uh, what you see as the direction and the policy that uh, this EPA is going to follow on this. Well, of course, it is more frustration. They continue to just... Uh, blithely go through these uh, review processes and, and uh, uh, grant uh, these waivers to anybody who asks. We don't believe without uh, a requirement that uh, the small refiner in question actually demonstrate that they are uniquely uh, impacted by the RFS itself. It seems if you have a stamp and you know the address for the EPA administrator, uh, you're going to get a waiver granted to you, and that's not what this is uh, supposed to be. Uh, you know, the statute says uh, you need to be uniquely impacted. Well, if they're granting these waivers to everybody, clearly everybody is not uniquely impacted. Uh, they have tortured the statute on the small refiner author uh, authorizing language in such a way as to benefit refiners. I mean, it's it's pretty transparent what they're trying to do, Mike. They're just trying to lower the overall uh, obligation for refiners, and they figured out a way to do that by more than a billion gallons every year, and it's just to grant these waivers. That's not what was intended by the small refiner exemption provisions in the Act, and hopefully the courts, uh, which are already looking at that because we've got uh, four different lawsuits on it, uh, we'll reprimand EPA at some point and get this back to where it needs to be. It's a shame that we've got to go to the courts uh, to fight the administration on this, particularly when the President of the United States has made it clear that he wants to see the ethanol market grow and he uh, you know, wants to see farmers have a value-added market for them. Uh, 
nobody seems to be paying much attention to what the president wants. Nobody seems to be paying much attention to what consumers want. Certainly nobody's paying much attention to what farmers want. And now EPA is ignoring, they're not paying any attention at all to the statute. Uh, all they are responding to is uh, requests from refiners for relief from a program for which they do not need relief. It is uh, more than frustrating. Does EPA turn down any of these requests? They've not turned down a single one uh, uh, in this administration, which is curious because uh, what is unique about uh, about their you know decisions? Nothing. Do you see any difference then, any change in direction uh, under Andrew Wheeler than what we saw from Scott Pruitt? Maybe a little more transparency, but the end result, do you see any difference? We've not seen any uh, any difference, and that, frankly, has been a bit surprising to me because uh, I thought Andy Wheeler would, uh, uh, you know, bring a little different perspective to the job, uh, and he has not. Uh, it has absolutely been business as usual at EPA, and, and business as usual means refiners, what do you need? We're going to give it to you. And uh, farmers, you know, thank you for being great Americans. Is this the administration? I keep coming back to this. It just seems like it's the administration's way to try to please both sides, and they're not doing so. But uh, they're trying to say, okay, biofuels, ethanol industry, you get E15 in the summer. Oil industry, we get you out of the the RFS requirements by granting waivers. Uh, are they, somehow are they thinking that uh, makes you know everybody happy by taking this position of uh, 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 you know a little for both or something for both? Well, uh, Mike, you may be on to something. That may be what uh, is in the back of the mind of, of the president. You know, it's uh, the art of the deal. In this case, however, the art of the deal reflects some really uh, bad math because the E15 rule gets uh, the ethanol industry maybe 40 million gallons uh, in the near term as a consequence of the increased opportunity to sell E15 in the summer months uh, you know, across the country. Meanwhile, they have uh, reduced demand just with the waivers they've granted in the past couple of weeks uh, by more than uh, 400 million gallons. So 10 times uh, what they've provided to the industry in terms of E15, they take away uh, in small refiner waivers. That math does not make the art of the deal. That math makes farmers pulling their hair out when they're already being impacted by trade policies that target them, by Mother Nature that uh, is hurting them tremendously right now. Uh, It's time for the administration to focus a little bit more on rural America. All right, Bob, as always, thanks for being with us. Thank you, Mike. Take care. Bob Deneen, Senior Strategic Advisor for the Renewable Fuels Association. Some have questioned how much of an impact on the ethanol industry and the ethanol market do these uh, waivers have. But there seems to be no argument that it's really hurting the biodiesel industry. We'll talk about that next here on AOA. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. All right, crew, let's get her dug. Honey, you want to give me a hand? I'm planting that tree, remember? No matter how large or small your digging project may be, no matter how urban or rural, you must always call 811 before any digging project. 
811 is our national one call number, alerting your local utility companies to come out and mark any lines they have near your dig site. You must call 811 at least two to three business days before any digging project so you can avoid hitting our essential buried utilities. This includes natural gas and petroleum pipelines, electric, communication cables, and water and sewer lines. So before you do this, or this, make sure you do this. For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811. Brought to you by Common Ground Alliance. All right, guys, we're ready for our four season sunroom, and Daddy's gonna get a rec room with refreshments. Oh no, we'll be sleeping under the stars. Mom, what about the one with, you know, the fun? Nice try, little bro. It's a gym, my gym. Hey, Grandma's getting her Four Seasons garden room. Weather tight and still like being outdoors. Maybe a living room. Oh no, wait, a family hub. Yeah. No matter what the budget, the season, or the climate, Four Seasons Sunrooms let you and your family enjoy the outdoors inside. Call now to hear more about these great offers from the premier manufacturer of sunrooms since 1975. I'm uh, Brett Sitzman, Director of Product Marketing for the Climate Corporation. Okay, now last week, Brett, we were talking about uh, a seed advisory service that you do and, and great success that uh, we saw in uh, 2018. And yeah, great results. Second year in-field testing for uh, seed advisor. We were in Iowa, Illinois, Minnesota testing on um, with 17 farmers, 100,000 acres. Uh, saw over a 9.1 bushel advantage to our seed advisor selected hybrids over what farmers would traditionally select on a field themselves. And we've actually got one of those farmers here. My name is Jerry Sensions and I am in Northwest Iowa, Kingsley, Iowa. So speaking with Brett earlier, he said that you are an alpha tester when it comes to this system. How did it work for you last year? What did it mean to your operation? Well, for me, it, it, it really improved what I'm doing. So putting the right seed in the right location is huge. Recently on Adams on Agriculture. And joining us now is Colin Woodall, Vice President Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. As expected, it did not pass, was the uh, vote on the uh, Green New Deal. What do you think of that? You know, EPA says that we are only 2% of the greenhouse gas emissions in this country. And we're only going to get better uh, because every day we are finding new science, new technologies that we can incorporate to make sure these animals are as efficient as possible and that we can produce as much high-quality beef as possible without having a major impact on the environment. And it's also lost on people like Congresswoman Alexandria or Ocasio-Cortez that without a strong, healthy environment, we don't have an industry. And uh, we're trying to make sure that she, along with others, are aware that agriculture, especially the cattle business, is part of the solution. We're not part of the problem, Mike. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. My mom's a breast cancer survivor. The United Breast Cancer Foundation saved her life. Their free breast cancer exam caught the cancer early, and it saved her life. But now the foundation needs your help so they can continue offering free or low-cost breast screening exams, saving more women's lives. Help them by donating your car, whether it's running or not. 
They'll provide fast, free 24-hour pickup, and you receive a charitable tax deduction, plus the great feeling you'll get knowing your donated car is going to help save more lives. Just call 800-745-3327 to set the wheels in motion. They take cars, trucks, vans, and SUVs running or not. Call 800-745-3327. The United Breast Cancer Foundation needs your help, and your donation could literally save women's lives, helping them catch breast cancer early like they did with my mom. Donate today. 800-745-3327. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, we've heard from Bob Deneen with the Renewable Fuels Association about last week's EPA public hearing. Let's talk now uh, with Kurt Kavarik, Vice President, Federal Affairs for the National Biodiesel Board. Kurt, thank you for being with us. What was your takeaway from the hearing last week? Glad to be with you, Mike. Uh, you know, I think what happened uh, last week in, in Michigan was kind of to be expected. Um, you had the biofuels organizations who were kind of evenly split between ethanol and biodiesel, speaking to, uh, you know, the, the positive movement on providing the, the rule for year-round E15, and then a great deal of concern around the proposal uh, dealing with what we call RIN reform, the, the credit trading under the RFS, and then uh, almost equally as much concern expressed around EPA's continuance of granting small refinery exemptions that erode the volumes and undermine the integrity of the renewable fuels uh, standard. You know, in, in these hearings, you don't get a lot of um, interaction between uh, the witnesses and EPA. They're, they're, they tend to be in listen-only mode, uh, but it's a good opportunity for all of the folks in the industry uh, to kind of express their concerns, lay out their initial thoughts on this rule, and then, uh, you know, prepare comments for the record uh, by the end of this month. The ethanol industry feels they've been harmed by the, the, the waivers, although some uh, are debating that or questioning that. But uh, that I know many feel that those are gallons lost, so it's hard to imagine that it doesn't have some impact, certainly, on the market. Uh, but there's hardly any disagreement at all, hardly any argument at all, that the biodiesel industry has for sure been hurt by these uh, waivers, and I'm sure that the, this was an opportunity for you to further uh, get that point across to EPA. It was. In fact, we had uh, six, six individuals that testified on behalf of the biodiesel industry. I was one of them. All, all six of us talked about uh, the harm done to the biodiesel industry, specifically because of the small refinery exemptions. And I feel like we've been, you know, it's a little bit of Groundhog's Day or a broken record here where the biodiesel industry is, you know, talking to EPA about the harm that their actions have, have done to our industry. But we've been at it for 12 months. They haven't necessarily reversed course at all. Uh, last week we saw the the final movement on the small refinery exemptions that were requested for 2017. We're looking at a total of about 360 million gallons of demand destruction and for biodiesel. This is, this is, it doesn't maybe sound like a big number, but in terms of our uh, annual volume obligation set by EPA, we're, we're looking at more than 10% of erosion. So that's a significant amount of fuel, particularly 
for an industry that is is almost entirely dependent on the RFS to drive our product. The RIN value, the tax credit, all of those things work in conjunction to provide certainty for a market for a fuel that, that may not be uh, added to the to the marketplace otherwise. You know, conventional ethanol has an octane component to it that is a significant driver. So that, that kind of uh, helps them provide certainty, plus they have an export market. Biodiesel doesn't have that level of certainty, so we're, we're much more dependent on the RFS, and we're much uh, more significantly harmed by these small refinery exemptions. An event like last week's, I often wonder how much good they do. It gives you an opportunity to, to get your information out, your point across, but you've already been doing that. Uh, but you're put in a position, if you didn't show up and, and give your side of it, the EPA could say, well, there must not be a problem. They weren't there to talk about it. So you're compelled to be there. I just often wonder if if they're open to being, uh, you know, changing their mind on this or they've already decided how they're going to go on it. That's a great point, and we often have that question ourselves. You know, are we are we moving the needle by participating? Hard to tell, but would our absence be be noticed if we weren't there? I think undoubtedly it it would be. And the the EPA career staff, the folks who who conduct these hearings, are very thoughtful. I think, given the time um, crunch on this particular rule, I think this hearing may have had more of an impact and provided. Uh, more beneficial feedback than maybe other uh, hearings in the past, simply because they are under enormous pressure to try to finalize this rule as quickly as they can. So I think a lot of either the criticism or the suggestions or the comments that were delivered at this hearing are probably more relevant to to, to the process than, than maybe in the past. The issues related to small refinery exemptions, now they weren't necessarily uh, a focal point of the rule itself, but our point was if you're looking at things that are artificially manipulating or undermining or affecting the value of the of the trading credits under the renewable fuel standard, then you surely have to look at the, the granting of small refinery exemptions that are done in the dead of night where the only individuals knowing who receive those exemptions are the refiners that get them. You know, they're the ones who then are able to, to to have those credits given back, sell those credits without anyone else knowing anymore what the actual required volume is that EPA set. Because every the erosion of a certain obligation of petroleum gallons that no longer need to have any renewable fuels in them. So no one, the frustrating part for us is they're trying to get at manipulation of the rent market and the granting of, of small refinery exemptions could be the single greatest uh, insider information available in terms of that RIN market. Real quick, just a few seconds left, Kurt, anything happening on tax extenders? I wish I could tell you we, we've got real tangible activity on the on, on movement on the tax extender, uh, but right now we're, we're in a little bit of a limbo situation. The House Ways and Means Committee is uh, marking up a tax bill tomorrow. Right now, extenders are not slated to be a component of it. They have a little bit of a disagreement on the Democratic side, as far as we're aware, in terms of kind of the scope of what they want to do on extenders, whether or not they need to be paid for. So they've got a little bit more uh, work to do. But we've seen very positive comments from a handful of members on the committee and the chairman himself about the need to move on extenders. So we're hopeful to see some tangible action here in the near term. 
Hopefully so. Thanks, Kurt. Always glad to be with you, Mike. Have a great day. Kurt, you too. Kurt Kavarik, Vice President, Federal Affairs for the National Biodiesel Board. Thanks for being with us today. Tomorrow, more updates and flood damage assessment. Hope you'll join us right here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. 